constant stimulation. Uh, and the third problem is the, the problem of constructed reality. And this is particularly, it's a problem for all kids, but I think particularly a problem for girls, is that um, a lot of the social media, what they are seeing is not the real image of the person that they're, 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 they're looking at, but a curated self-image. And so um, the only thing that ever gets posted on Facebook or Snapchatted about is uh, the, the, the great event that you've been to or this wonderful experience. And so it's a very, a very selected view of life. And you look at that view of the perfect life, which has been carefully constructed for public consumption, and you compare it to my own pathetic, boring life, uh, my own restricted set of friends, and it feeds into a very negative self-image, or else it leads to... Um, uh, often girls constructing their own realities, trying to compete with this other constructed realities, and it's just escalating out of control. So issues around each of those three, th three things. Um, with our kids, uh, we, we implemented uh, content filtering to try and prevent them being exposed to um, um, harmful R and X rated stuff online. Um, tried to restrict their uh, devices uh, to to public spaces so that they um, that they knew that. At any moment, mum or dad could walk into the room and see what was on was on the screen, um, and uh, tried to teach them some kind of responsibility. As, as I mean, our kids are all now adult and later teenage years, and we hope that the the things that we taught them when they were eight and ten and twelve have now become embedded and internalised about what's appropriate and inappropriate. But for a long time, we made those kind of judgment calls and set to enforce those content limits uh, in terms of the time limits. Um, trying to create some strict times about when they could and couldn't use media. So after a certain time at night, um, phones out of the room, no computers in the room, uh, in, in the bedroom. When you go to bed, you're going to bed to sleep, not to Snapchat with your friends until 2 a.m. Um, and we, we deliberately kept our kids off Facebook, uh, which was all the rage back then, when they, uh, until relatively late in the piece. And again, that was one of those issues that we had issues with other church families because the other church families were on Facebook and we were saying to our daughter, no, we don't want you on Facebook until we're comfortable that you'll use it appropriately. Um, so I think we were probably at the more restrictive end of what we, we the, the boundaries that we set around our children and we set them early and then we relaxed them as they got older rather than just letting them do what they want and then discovering, like we, we had issues with finding our boys looking at porn and having those awkward conversations and having to explain why that wasn't good and all of that. But that, that, that was part of the process of, of, um, of, of trying to be a responsible parent. In relation to your substituted foundations and what you've just yeah, self-made and so forth, how, how does the church, the wider body, direct society back to those? So the question is, how do we direct society back to uh, at the, the real foundations and away from the substituted foundations? Um, Ultimately, I think we, 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 what we've got to keep on doing is helping people realising what they're doing ultimately is substituting, taking God and putting self there. That, that's, that's what's going on in, in every case, is that the thing the, the thing that um, God used to do, we're now thinking that the individual can do. The problem is that the individual is being asked to do things that it cannot do. An individual cannot actually give themselves meaning. You can't develop a self-image that's entirely self-generated because you're never going to know whether you've, you've done enough. And so pointing to the fragility of 
of self-esteem based on, on, on self, the, pointing to the problems of the moral system that is based on self. Part of the problem, the problem why our Western world is collapsing is because we've abandoned a moral system based on God's moral code and substituted it with a, a moral code that's up to each individual. And it doesn't work because every individual has got their own different moral code. And so trying to expose what's wrong um, uh, is probably the only way to bring people back to that is to realise actually we, if we keep, keep on going down this path we're just heading further and further into confusion. That's the only way I can think is showing people the inconsistency, the, the logical inconsistency and the practical inconsistency of uh, trying to get individuals to do what only God can do. So... Basically what you're saying is you, you support that non-Christian families send their children to Christian schools to get those basic like, values. I'm, oh yeah. I'm, I'm all for as many kids as possible going to schools where they're going to hear these Christian things. I'm not sure how effective it is uh, in um, helping these people to get an enduring moral code for themselves. Um, so my, my son went through Barker, he was a Christian, almost all of his peer groups were, were not Christians. They've all come out as pretty decent human beings at the other end, and for that I'm grateful, um, but I'm not sure that many of them will actually have a framework that values human beings because they're, they're uh, made in the image of God and that they'll be able to forgive people when they're, they're, they're slighted and be able to say, that's okay, I forgive you. I'm not sure that they'll, they'll actually have internalised those values for themselves. Um, but it hasn't hurt them to go to, to, to that school. It's been a good thing for them. And um, my, my father, so I'm Dutch, that's the accent. Um, and my father has been a principal of a high school for 35 years. So he's seen all these things that you mm. talked about. And um, in my country, it's even worse at the schools. Um, he, he had a really interesting thought, and I'm curious if you think the same way. He said that my generation actually saw um, um, where it went wrong. We, 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 started, we saw the generation before us treating their children as princes and princesses, yeah. and we saw what it did, you know? We, we saw how rude they are. So he says your generation is a very important generation because you're going to turn it around. You're going to make it right again. Yeah. So you're going to be that strict parent. So, you know, the generation before us let loose a bit and we're going to make it right. So what's your view on that? I would love that to be the case. I haven't seen any evidence that there's actually been that turnaround. You, you would hope that that would be the case. That every, that I hope I am. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you, you may be, but whether that's true generally of everybody else in your generation, um, I think that my, my experience is that there are still a lot of parents who are, um, and it may be out of a sense of maternal or paternal guilt, trying to give their children everything. I want my child to have the very best in life. It's something that I continue to hear all the time. And my uh, parents who are absolutely flat out running their children around to every possible conceivable before and after school event to give their child every, every opportunity in life. Um, I, I haven't seen a... Um, a, a turn back of, of parents saying, look, I'm going to be a little bit strict with my, my children and I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to give them everything that I ask for. Your, your example notwithstanding. Because, <laughs> yeah. um, sorry, I know I take the microphone, but um, uh, he, he gave an example to me um, that uh, five years ago, so he's retired now, so five years ago he had a, 
a child who threw raw eggs at a teacher in class and he suspended the child for two months. And then the parents took my dad or the school to court uh, to reverse it. So they basically were saying to their child, it's okay, it's okay to throw raw eggs at, um, um, at a teacher. And it actually opened my eyes a lot. Like what you said, the forgiveness, the consequences, and then the forgiveness, I think a lot of parents just skip a step. They go straight to the forgiveness instead of doing the consequence first. Yep. And I think that personally, I, I'm, I really want to add that step again, the consequences. Yep. And, and it's a biblical way of thinking about sin and consequences. So if somebody, to take it out of the parenting situation, if somebody committed a crime, they, they burgled a house and they stole something, and then they go to prison and they, uh, they become a Christian there and they, they repent of the thing that they've done wrong and they apologise to the house owner and there's reconciliation, all of that can happen, but they're still going to be in prison and they should be in prison until they've served the sentence for, for that crime. Uh, Forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean just a way of short-circuiting the consequences of, of the wrong act. And I think as parents we need to remember that we can still discipline our children and have consequences um, and be forgiving and loving and caring. Those things don't, don't, don't have to. Forgiveness is actually a relational thing. Consequences it has to do with um, more, more the pragmatic outworking of a particular act. Michael, I presume you mean by values, Christian values? Yes. Is that what you're referring to? And I think, as an older parent, <laughs> my husband and I were fairly diligent about teaching our children the Bible. Um, you know, we had memory verses and Bible readings at tea time and all that sort of thing. And I think, even though our children were, weren't perfect by any means, we did have some issues with some of them. Um, the verses they remembered that we taught when they were growing up has held them in good stead. And now I see with our grandchildren, we've been teaching them verses, but also their parents do, that's standing them in good stead as well. And I, I just can't say enough about Bible reading with your family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Shaping one generation doesn't just pay dividends for that generation. So um, it's your children's children and your children's children's children who will benefit from what you did with your kids. Could you just comment, Michael? Uh, we. Uh, couple of minutes left, um, just about the role of marriage in parenting. So you mentioned that, um, you know, kids will want to drive a wedge between father and mother. Um, can you just comment on um, the kind of conversations you've had um, with Felicity? She's a very busy person as well. She's a lawyer. And so you're busy. You've got very busy lives. How, um, what are some of the best things you've done to sustain your marriage in the light of very busy lives, uh, kids, and uh, a very kind of crazy world that we're in? One of the really important things is to make sure that we nurture our own relationship as husband and wife so that we're not just always relating as parents. When, it, when the kids were much younger um, and we were really busy, it felt like that's all we ever talk, would talk about and we would even go out for a date night and we would spend all the time just talking about the kids and we realised that we actually had to nurture our own relationships because there was going to come a day when the kids were no longer going to be at home and if we hadn't actually related as husband and wife for 20 years, um, the, there wouldn't be 
much of a marriage left. And so, um, yes, as much as we love our kids and care for them and, and we do spend a lot of time talking about how they're going and talking with them and talking um, about them in their absence, it's also important just to talk about each other and uh, how we're coping in life and, and focus on being a married couple and not just parents every now and again. Um, so, yes, if you are married, let me commend to you the, the regular date night as, as a really important thing because the stronger your relationship is as a couple, the better that you will be as parents uh, for, for your kids. It's not selfish uh, to spend a bit of time for, for yourselves on yourselves. Um, but yeah, beyond, beyond that, um, I think what I said before, just trying to be consistent, and that sometimes meant conceding to the other one. So I would, if, even if on balance I might have let my child go and watch the movie at nine o'clock on, um, on, on a Saturday night, if, if, if Felicity's not comfortable with that, then that's okay, I'll, I'll back her uh, in, uh, in, in that decision. So d deliberately being um, consistent in parenting. Thanks, Michael. Um, I'm going to draw our question time to a close. Uh, thank you so much. Why don't we give him a clap? <laughs> Michael's going to hang around for a little bit uh, over supper. We are about to enjoy some supper. I think the kids are going to come, you know, uh, not quietly like church mice out the back. They're going to come barraging in. I, I was reminded of uh, naughty children uh, in that the church that Michael was the minister of was a church that I went to Sunday school at and grew up as a kid. And I got kicked out of Sunday school for two weeks for fighting with my brother. And so, uh, you know, uh, I'm pleased that you haven't kicked me out uh, of church um, tonight. Thank you, Michael, for... Uh, I've come a long way since I was eight, though. Um, I wanted to let you know just a couple of things before we close. Each Sunday we're here at 4.30 with our Point Kids program. It's a program for kids where we teach them the Bible. We have a church service in this space here. You're more than welcome to join us. Uh, we have an event for our women coming up in a couple of weeks' time, the end of the month. Uh, our Point Women, there's um, some flyers out in the foyer. It's an opportunity just for women to gather and uh, I think there's going to be a cheese-making demonstration, uh, fermenting, so if you're a husband, you, it'll be in your interest to send your wife along to this kind of thing at the end of the month there uh, on uh, the 29th of June. We're going to have another one of these forums in a couple of months' time on the 5th of August, and we'll be looking at the issue of how does Christianity help those who are struggling with mental health? We're inviting uh, a psychologist and Christian thinker, Dr Keith Condy, to speak to us in a similar way. Uh, there'll be an extended question and answer time, but this is a very important issue for Christian people, for our society in general, and uh, we're convinced that the Bible and God has something really significant to say to us. And uh, a lot of literature is showing now the significant role that being in a community like a church can make for those who are struggling in mental health, health and even for those who are supporting others who are struggling in mental health. So that's Friday sorry, Sunday the 5th of August in a couple months' time. You'll see a contact card uh, there. Uh, that's for you. If you'd like to find out more about Point Church, you can fill that out. There's pens on back, some of the back of the chairs. Pop it in the white box uh, on your way out. There's a couple of boxes you could tick. If you've been kind of rekindled in your uh, understanding of the role that Christianity can make, then you might want to do a course with us just to refresh yourself uh, if you have a Christian background or if you don't, you'd be more than welcome to come to that refresher course. Or if you'd like to hear more about some of the events that we're running 
uh, as a church. Our kids uh, are coming back in. Why don't you come in, kids? Uh, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you to Michael. Uh, we'd love to get to know you over supper. Why don't you hang around and enjoy the time with us? We hope that you've enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. Thank you.